I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're talking with Deanna Lewis, a labor and employment attorney and litigation specialist who's going to talk to us about her career journey as a Black woman in law. Where does her passion for civil rights come from? Growing up in Washington, D.C. Let's talk to Deanna. All right. Welcome. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Joy. Give us like the 30 second of your life. <laughs> Give us a little bit of information about you before we get started. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, uh, okay. No pressure. <laughs> uh, no pressure. Okay. So I um, am a very proud uh, third generation native Washingtonian, a product of the DC public school system. I went to the University of Virginia for my undergraduate degree. I went to Drake University Law School in Des Moines, Iowa for my Juris Doctor, and I went to George Washington University for my LLM in Litigation and Dispute Resolution. Um, currently, I am the managing attorney as well as the owner and founder of the District Legal Group, PLLC. We are a small boutique litigation trial lawyer firm. Uh, based in the Capitol Hill area of the District of Columbia. However, we practice law in D.C. and the state of Maryland, and we do federal EEO cases nationally. We also do, in addition to EEO work, uh, labor and employment work generally, civil rights litigation, business law, contract law, contract litigation, appellate law as well. Uh, We also function as outside counsel and general counsel to several small and mid-sized businesses uh, and companies. I'm a mom to a very rambunctious and sassy three-and-a-half-year-old little girl named Royal. (laughs) I call her a toddler teenager. (laughs) I love traveling internationally primarily, and I actually did the Semester at Sea program in college, which was a very fond memory of my college experience where I sailed around the world on a ship for, I think, 104 days. 
Um, I am very family oriented. I'm very much an advocate and I love being a lawyer. Wow. I think that's about it. Oh, about it. Like that's a lot. That is like, (laughs) so first of all, uh, I know a lot of people who did semester at sea, but I've never met a black person who did semester at sea. Well, because there aren't very many black people who have done (laughs) semester at sea. But honestly, a lot of people don't even know I have I did it because I just, you know, once you kind of get through law school, it's like no one really talks about college anymore. You know, it's really conversation about law school yeah. and being a lawyer. It's like people kind of forget that you almost had a past life. Yeah. Oh, I guess I should mention that I had a past life as a singer, too. So what? I love invitations to karaoke parties. I actually auditioned for American Idol back in 2005. What? Uh, I sung the national anthem for my law school graduation before law, singing and music was my first love. So. Wow. Multifaceted. Like, I love it. And and I'm sure a lot of people listening can identify with, I mean, you have different stages of life, right? And so people know you from different parts, but sometimes that's all they know. They don't even know the other layers. So you're right. Great. Well, uh, that is like the best intro I think we've had. So bravo. Oh. <laughs> Bravo. So let's get into it. Like I, so I get questions about, you know, people thinking they might need a lawyer because of something that's happening at work um, around discrimination or pay or, or different things. And so let's start off with like, what made you be interested in doing employment kind of labor work? What's the inspiration behind that? I went into law school with a very civil rights oriented mindset. I grew up, like I said earlier, in the District of Columbia. I went through the public school system. You know, I didn't come from money. So I, you know, very easily could have grown up to be a statistic. A lot of friends I grew up with did. I also grew up seeing what it was like to be a Black child in an inner city with, you know, sometimes white police forces patrolling heavily Black-dominated areas. So I literally would be a high school student hanging out with friends, Black males, and I got jumped out on back in the day when jump outs were actually a thing in the District of Columbia, Um, simply because my friend at the time had dark tinted windows. He was a Black male with dreadlocks. And it was just just kind of an awakening experience because, you know, I guess he had one of those kind of square cars with dark tinted windows. He was actually a football player. So they got jumped out on. It was him and his cousin. I think we were maybe home for like Christmas break, just hanging out. Uh, And they handcuffed them on the sidewalk in the freezing cold, had them sit on the pavement. And they literally just had me stand there. No one talked to me, looked at me. I had a whole purse. I wasn't checked. I wasn't searched. And I was just like, wow, I feel invisible right now. And the only difference between me and them was they were Black men. One had dreadlocks. You know, they had athletic statures. And I was just a petite Black woman, you know, not really a threat, not really seen. (laughs) And it wasn't really until I said to the police officers, I'm like, why are you all arresting them? Or not even arresting them, handcuffing them, right? Because technically there's also an argument, as I know now, I didn't know then, is whether or not this was a real detention or was this more of an encounter? I don't really think legally you can have an encounter in handcuffs. 
I'm not a criminal lawyer. I'll let my criminal lawyers opine on that. <laughs> but back then, at the very least, I was just so confused because I'm like, why are they in handcuffs? It's cold outside and they're sitting on the pavement. You're searching their car for what? You know, they're nervous. We're students. You know, it's very unclear what's happening. Um, but it wasn't until I said, you know, they're college football players. I think I may have been like a senior in high school at the time. I think they were freshmen. And <laughs> it was just kind of like crazy. And at that point in time, they attended West Virginia University, um, which was a big football school back then. I'm not really sure what the status of it is now. But that literally, my one comment changed like seemingly the entire tone of the conversation. So then they start talking about football. Mind you, my two friends are still sitting on the ground handcuffed, but like the atmosphere just changed. And I was just so bewildered at the time. I'm like, why? Why did this happen in this way? Right. When I went to law school, I went to law school to be a quote unquote civil rights lawyer. Okay. Or I applied to law school and my personal statement was talking about how I wanted to, you know, basically be a torchbearer for justice. I wanted to be standing on tables in courtrooms with my fist in the air and arguing against like the wrongs, ills and plagues of society. You know, I wrote my personal statement to law school about how I was called the N word my first week of school at UVA. And I use that kind of as a stepping stone to say, this is why we still need civil rights lawyers. And this is why we still need people who are going to be staunch advocates against racial disparities and injustice and discrimination and all the isms that still plague this country. Um, as I, you know, thought about law school, I was a very huge fan of Law and Order. Um, and, and actually, that started when I was 10 years old. So I just, it was something about the theme music and seeing people in court. And I was just really motivated, like, to be like them. Who did you watch it with? Myself. Yourself? Okay. I know people watch it with their grandparents or whatever, so myself I mean if my grandmother you know was around at the time she may sit with me and watch it but usually it was just me at home by myself I was the only child in the house so that I think coupled with just my very um observant experiences mm -hmm. of how people who look like me were being treated in these various experiences in kind of life circumstances that I was having and moving through and then to go to college and, you know, be called the N-word with me and a small group of Black people. And specifically what was said was, look at the N-words of UVA. And it was a speeding car that drove past a group of white, young white boys laughing. It was literally maybe my third or fourth day on the college campus. Wow. When I actually got to law school, I um, took civil rights, a civil rights course. I took an employment discrimination litigation course. And interestingly, and I always knew I wanted to do litigation. I always felt like I was an advocate. I always felt like I had a voice and I always felt like I had the courage to be bold. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wanted to use that. Like I saw them doing on Law & Order. So I actually uh, was a legal intern for a boutique litigation employment firm, small employment firm. I think it had five lawyers, five white women. And uh, and it was all women, uh, which I thought was really cool. Uh, and I did, I think I want to say I worked there for my entire last year of 
law school. And then prior to that, I want to say I worked at the Iowa Civil Rights Commission for maybe one or two semesters. I can't fully recall. Um, But it was interesting kind of working as a somewhat of a student investigator for people who submitted what they believed to be discrimination claims and me kind of reviewing the facts and getting to issue spot and make an assessment as to whether or not I thought that they actually met the elements of, you know, discrimination. Now, of course, there was somebody who reviewed my work and made the final determination, but being able to kind of see these incoming complaints and look at the file and any supporting evidence, it was like, it was really cool. It was just a very, very cool posture to be in, especially as a law student. So I did that. And then a year after that, I um, worked at the small boutique civil rights and employment firm. And I think those experiences really helped usher my mind into understanding that civil rights is not just about whether you were denied access at a food counter. Civil rights often has greater context that significantly impacts someone's livelihood, like their workplace. Mm -hmm you know, how they feed their their families and themselves. And it really wasn't until I had those two internships with the Iowa Civil Rights Commission and the Boutique Litigation Employment Discrimination Firm that I really think I started to get it. So um, one of my summers, I did a summer internship, legal internship with um, the Office of Civil Rights for the... um, for TSA, but I started pursuing these type of um, internships, basically, to really focus my experience and my knowledge attainment on civil rights-oriented experiences. Um, You know, I kind of tried different things, and then that's when I really realized, or what really resonated with me was employment law. So I ended up going to school full-time, getting my master's of law degree, working full-time initially as a full-time law clerk for what we now know is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Mm, So I was one of the first um, kind of law clerks and lawyers that worked in the OFLEO office, Office of Fair Lending and Equal Opportunity. So that's, I think, a very long way of saying uh, I tried a lot to get to, um, you know, this more narrowed focus. And um, I really, I think even after being in the federal government for a couple of years, I transitioned from law clerk to full-time attorney. I realized that while it is civil rights oriented, it wasn't exactly the employment civil rights work that I was hoping to do. So I was looking to transition out of that to, you know, really find the opportunity that I I thought best fit exactly what I really wanted to do in terms of passion. Now I own a law firm and we do a lot of primarily civil rights litigation and labor and employment discrimination litigation. You've had so much inspiration to do this work. So that's amazing. I did not expect all of of that. And for those things to happen to you, I'm just thinking being 18 and starting college and having that experience like right out of the gate um, had to be really tough. I'm really sorry about that. It was very impactful. Yeah. Led you to do this work to to help others. So um, it's weird how you know, our trauma can become our purpose, right? So when you are representing your clients, what is it like walking into the room as a Black woman to, you know, 
to argue this case or like, you know, uh, start those relationships off with the other lawyer and the opposing party and all those things? Like, do you get any specific reactions? Um, does the vibe in the room change? Do you feel like people are tougher on you? What I can tell you is, one, uh, I've been practicing law for 10 years, actually. This is literally my 10th year anniversary oh of being a lawyer. Um, I can also tell you that 10 years ago, I looked very young. I still look very young, actually, but I looked even younger than the youngness that I have right now mm. in terms of appearance. So back then, you know, it was a little frustrating to be candid with you that I, you know, feel like I had worked so hard. So I started law school at 21. I finished law school at 24. Most of the people I went to law school were two to four years older than me. So at 24, you know, I didn't think I was young. You know, I felt like I had put in my time. I had done the work, you know, and here I am credentialed, but I still looked young to people. Um, So I had been mistaken as a newer lawyer, as the paralegal, Mm. as the secretary, as an intern. And here I am having passed the bar and I'm like, no, I'm actually the lawyer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and I think that, you know, that happened. And I do think it still happens for a lot of younger lawyers, younger black lawyers um, in general, um, because you actually don't really see a lot of black lawyers in general. Only 5% of lawyers in the country are black. That is a statistic that unfortunately has per- permeated our country's fabric for years. The American Bar Association actually maintains and tracks this type of data, you know, and they break it down, you know, further, uh, even as it relates to gender uh, and sex. I want to say maybe 3% of all lawyers are black women. Being young, being a lawyer, being treated as young and not treated as a lawyer was very frustrating. I, even as five years ago, I would say when I was actually considered senior counsel um, or mid, mid level to senior counsel, depending on where I was working at the time, um, you know, I have had white males stand up and literally yell at me and point their finger across at me in a deposition while the court reporter was transcribing. Wow. And, you know, you have to suspect that if you were not a woman, if you were not a black woman, um, you would not have been treated that way in those type of situations. I have been berated by men, um, other lawyers, um, you know, in workplaces, other women, (laughs) older women in workplaces. And so there is this hybrid identification that I have about myself that has certainly impacted my treatment, even as a lawyer. I've been doing a lot of civil rights litigation for a while. So to see even this type of treatment, even in the field of practice that I work in, is bewildering. It was bewildering. And, you know, people, you can't put anything past anyone, right? Because, listen, discrimination happens everywhere and anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, people think because they've achieved some level of success, <laughs> some level you. of monetary atonement, some level of credentials, some level of letters and numbers behind their name, Mm. (laughs) that that somehow separates them. It doesn't because the world sees you as it sees you first. 
and then it gets context later. Yeah. Now, as a black woman uh, who's been practicing for a while, who may know a couple of things, um, I see it as a badge of honor. I see it as a, you know, um, a force of energy that I use to my advantage. I'll also tell you one of the things I actually do quite well um, as a litigator and a trial lawyer is I play up on other people's ignorance and stereotypes of me. So when I go into depositions, you know, I'm a rather petite woman. I mean, I'm not a midget, but, you know, I'm, I'm a smaller woman, um, shorter in stature. And so I, you know, I have a younger looking face. So, you know, the perception could be like, oh, they sent the junior lawyer in today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of, you kind of like, oh, they don't really care about this case. So you mm-hmm. kind of kick back, you're comfortable. Yeah. You know, I, I like to think that even in communicating, I come across as personable. So, you know, even if I'm taking a deposition, people answer questions of mine initially because I don't show aggression or hostility at the outset, right? The idea is to make you comfortable so you answer my questions. Mm-hmm. What I also recognize is as a stereotype, as a woman, as a Black woman, you may think I don't know a lot yeah. or you may think I don't have a lot of experience. So if I perceive that you're perceiving me in that way, I'm very much a, oh my God, well, tell me more yeah. kind of person <laughs> in a deposition, right? Because I see that you think I'm an idiot mm-hmm. And I'm going to allow you to school me until I crush you at the end. Yes. And then I'm going to use everything that you've told me previously that contradicts every point I'm about to make as conflicting testimony. Mm. That's how I approach depositions. Even now, even now. I think now, though, you know, when people see me, they know I'm not playing around. I think because as you get older, you know, your air changes, Mm -hmm. your confidence level changes. And one of the things I think now that I'm seeing and recognizing 10 years later is that people are seeking black women attorneys Mm -hmm. to represent them. Because I think what we've seen over the last five years is black women get it done, Mm -hmm. right? On social media, they say, if you want something done, go find a black woman. You hear that a lot. There are memes about it, you know, the little graphics about it. And I think now, you know, people are really, um, to some degree, not everybody, of course, but to some degree, people are really starting to understand the value of having a strong black woman in your corner especially as a lawyer yeah and the historical context right black women lead every movement black women have taken care of the home other people's children ran everything since what feels like the beginning of time so it's like it's it's proven results (laughs) you would yes i think those are phenomenal illustrations of the strength of black women but what we also know is in historically that the most dis- disrespected person has been the black woman mm-hmm. historically, right? There's there's some sort of tie that's starting to move towards the recognition and acknowledgement of black women. I can't always still say respect, right? But I can at least say there does seem to be some sort of recognition and acknowledgement of the value of black women and how black women can move mountains individually. Wow. To I guess kind of like take this full circle. If there are women who feel like you, I call it the triple threat, right? So too mm-hmm. young, too woman, too black. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, other Latinas, other uh, 
women could feel like this as well, right? You've got three points against you, but mm-hmm. then again, three, ben- I, you know, we know as three benefits. Um, how should they, I mean, do you have any advice for them of how they should be navigating in these spaces, particularly ones like yours where, you know, there's so much coming into it just because of the level Mm -hmm. of the career you're in and so Mm -hmm. many preconceived notions. Like what are, I mean, should there be strategy for them when they're entering these workforces? Oh, wow. That is such a question to unpack. Right. And I think I want to start by just giving a little bit of personal background that I don't even talk very much about openly. Mm. Um, Because I went to UVA, I was, you know, I was, and I went to Banneker for high school, which Mm -hmm. was basically the equivalent of a talented and gifted, if you will, college preparatory school here in the District of Columbia. Um, So I went to UVA, which as we know, is a PWI, predominantly white institution, uh, even though at the time, uh, UVA had about a 10% black student retention rate. Um, at the end of the day, when you're talking about like 30,000 people, you know, it's like, it's not really great. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm. But nevertheless, I think when I got to UVA, I almost kind of had a bit of my own internal struggle about my blackness and what I wanted that to look like and how I wanted that to reflect. So because UVA is such a Southern, Southern Belle, down South, even though it's not very far from DC, but down South institution, you know, there, you just didn't see a lot of urbanness there. You didn't see a lot of urbanness on campus, right? So for me, I was trying to figure out where this very proper speaking urban inner city girl fit in. And in college, I would say for the first year or so, I downplayed a bit of my love for gold hoop earrings. I didn't wear them on college campus, except for like going to a party, maybe. You know, I tried to really, I stuck to wearing pearl earrings. That was a very cultural thing at the school because I was really trying to figure out, you know, where I fit in here. You know, I'm from DC. I'm going to school with a lot of people from the suburbs, you know, so even then that is a conflict, right? (laughs) And just cultural identity. And then it was like, I was, you know, I wasn't from the hood, but I was hood adjacent. You know what I mean? Like it was the hood was around the corner from where I grew up, you know, just not on my block. So for me, I kind of tried to figure out like, when was I not black enough? When was I being too black? What does that even mean? It's such a loaded concept, right? Your blackness. Who is the arbiter of blackness, right? Yeah. And I think that for me, that's kind of what I struggled with, you know, an identity of my own blackness, my own truth. What did that look like to me? And I think the reality is to go back to your question is your blackness, your brownness, it looks like whatever you want it to look like to you. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the first things I would say to to the women, you know, who may, who may be listening in, trying to figure out, okay, in these type of situations, scenarios, circumstances, professions, how do I show up? You show up as you. 
and you have to show up as you confidently. Blackness has been something I, you know, I talk about blackness a lot right now as a civil rights lawyer. Mm -hmm. I talk about other people's blackness. I advocate for people's blackness. I advocate against people trying to qualify other people's blackness. Mm -hmm. So these are literally social constructs that I literally talk about every day and I apply applications of the law to those conversations. And so it's interesting now that I am so comfortable and confident in my blackness, right? And how I identify and show up as a black woman um, that I too struggled previously with really trying to understand what that meant to me. And I think going back to what I said, showing up as your authentic self, you first have to be aware of who you are, right? Because you can't ask somebody to show up as their authentic self if they are not clear on who they are, what their authentic self is or is comprised Mm. of. You have to first be cognizant about who you are in order to show up as your authentic self. But I also think in the midst of this, mentorship is so important, right? You have to find mentors who who you perceive are wiser than you, who you perceive may have had more experiences at life or more experiences in a particular industry or dealing with a particular matter than you have and just use them as a sounding board. Sometimes people think mentors have to be you know, 10, 15, 20, 40 years older than them. I actually have mentors that I identify with as my peers, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. who may be a year older than me or a year younger than me, right? But it's something about their journey, their walk, their trajectory that I seek guidance and wisdom from them on. And I think I have friends who do the same for me. And so finding a mentor, you know, your friend could be your mentor. You know, Mm -hmm. I think mentor has such this kind of like socially charged attachment to the tone of the word, right? When the reality is you just need a sounding board, someone that you can think can give you unfettered, unfiltered advice to help you navigate the world or at least a particular aspect of it. And I think you should have different mentors for different things, just like I think you should have so different social groups for different things, right? So having different mentors or different types of mentors who can expose you to different areas of life or help you navigate different areas of life or different types of workplaces is very important as a legal professional, as a professional in general. Having different social crowds, right? Because we're all very diverse human beings, right? We are not static individuals. And also part of showing up as your authentic self means that you would like to be able to facilitate your authentic self in different environments. So sometimes people feel repressed, right, internally, and they have this internal struggle because they don't feel like they can fully show up as their personal authentic self because they're isolating their social circle to one stagnant type of group of people or one group of people that may be, you know, thinking like-minded in a particular way when the truth is you're such a, you know, multi-layered cake that this may speak to one part of your soul, but not another. So I think going back to the question, you know, as a woman, as a young woman, as a woman, if you're a lawyer or some other kind of industry or, you know, low-powered industry, whatever industry you're in, you know, I think you have to also make sure that your circles are expanded and diverse. It's been so eye-opening understanding some of the trials for a Black woman in law. If you felt like you had more questions for Deanna, then we're on the same page. Part two of this conversation will air later in the season, and Deanna will be dropping free legal advice. Yep, so stay tuned for that. We'll talk next week.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.